Amen. What a great song. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Uh, how can you, do you resonate to that? Huh? Do we resonate to that? It's one of those songs, right? It's, boy, I wish the joy of the Lord was my strength. Um, and hopefully today, in today's sermon, uh, we'll find out that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And um, sometimes the reason we don't know it is because we misunderstand that, and by God's grace, it'll be clear as we move into the sermon this week. Uh, if you're new with us this week, uh, we just uh, are on the last week of a, a series on community in God's image. Josh, when he did the announcements, was saying we've been focusing on this uh, through, through the fall, but we've had a sermon series starting in January to talk a little bit more in depth, and our Sunday school class has also been doing the same thing, much more in a discussion mode out of Ed Welsh's book, Caring for One Another, and we believe God is on the move in the midst of our community. So here we are, the last week of our sermon series, and um, what I want to do is I want to review to bring us to where we're at right now. Um, it's been six weeks, and uh, I, if you're like me, with the busyness of life, many of the things that were six weeks ago are very blurry, if you even understand or think about them at all. So let's, let's go back and let's bring us up uh, where, we, where we need to go. The first thing we need to know is that we believe in what was preached the first couple weeks as Josh preached and I came after that, is that God's creative design is for humanity to be a beautiful community, a reflection of the Trinity, a reflection of the Trinity. So just put that diagram up there uh, just for a second. So, you know, just, just so people are aware, the Trinity, here it is, God, one, but three persons, three distinct personalities, right? And then we move from that to the next one, um, because in these distinct personalities, they have different roles that they play. And we see that the Father is the one who plans the details. He's the planner. The Son is the one who goes on the mission. And the Spirit is the one who takes over and empowers um, and, and when Josh was preaching the first week, he used the words perfection, proportion, and diversity. And the idea is that perfection has room for scars, that Jesus, the perfect one, actually suffered, and he entered into our suffering. So it's a community that can suffer together because it's God has suffered with them. And this is beautiful uh, idea that this is, this is what Christ does and continues to do. Proportion was the idea of unity and diversity. We see unity and diversity here and diversity in unity. And in God's community, by God's grace, there would be unity and diversity and diversity and unity. And then the pleasure part of that was the idea that we delight not in self-interest, but we delight in the interest of others in the same way that God and the Trinity delighted in that. So Josh brought that to bear, and I think Jean Marie Dwyer describes God's design very well in this quote. Let me, uh, let me read it to you. The deepest meaning of human person is not a reality defined simply by individualism, but includes as essential to the definition one who is interrelated. Christian community is, then, a gathering of persons called by God in Christ empowered and animated by the indwelling presence of the Spirit, who freely gives themselves to one another in love. The human person as imago 
day is called to share in the shared love of the Trinity and communicate that love to others. So this is God's design. This is what God has designed. That was his intention in creation. But here's what we know. Sin has broken that community, that beautiful community. What is sin? Sometimes you hear that word. Well, sin is our pride leads us to act like we are God. We usurp his glory for our own. We live for our own pleasure, out of our own will, out of our own plans, and we use our own resources. And as we live this way, this is rebellion against God's creative design, against his love, rebellion against his holiness and his plans. And as a result, this is what sin is. It brings separation and death leading to a broken, destructive, and polarized community. And that's what we see all around us. A broken, destructive, and polarized community. But God's desire is to restore human community to his creative design, which is beauty, which is shalom, which is well-being. So what does God do? He steps in. And I think this particular quote by Erwin Ince, who wrote The Beautiful Community, speaks to it. So let me read it to you. These words we find throughout God's word, renewed, reconciled, united, are the reversal of the fractures, divides, breaks, and partitions of life in this world and before God that were and are so desperately needed. We are truly stamped from the beginning for unity and union, for wholeness and shalom, for beauty. God himself is committed to knitting the human race back together in Jesus Christ. And that's what we see. We see that God brings Christ into the world. He is born. He brings, comes with flesh. He experiences our human life. He experiences suffering he speaks into our world. He brings truth. He brings power. He brings miracles. He brings a reflection of God's image into the world in humanity itself. He is the perfect human being. He's the one who reflects this beautiful community to the world. And he does this in such a way that he goes to the cross. In other words, what Jesus has done in this perfect life, he's now provided the sacrifice that was needed so that we who are living in rebellion can be redeemed because this perfect one stands in our place and suffers the separation and death that we deserve. And as a result, we now are seen by God through Christ and his perfect life so that we now become, if we believe and humble ourselves, adopted children of Almighty God who are filled with the Spirit of Christ and being filled with the Spirit of Christ, we now have the ability to live out what is a perfect, beautiful community as the Spirit moves in us to make us like Jesus. Amen? Do you believe that? That's what we, that's what we want. We want God to be at work in us in such a way that we believe it. And how does it happen is where we went. How does this happen? Well, we started with the idea that it's a faith that we now have that expresses itself 
in love. And what does that love look like? What are some of the characteristics that we've talked about over the last few weeks? What does that love look like? Anybody? What, is, what does that look like from what we've been learning over the last couple weeks? What are some of the characteristics? See, I'm trying to get your memories going, right? I'm with you in this. Come on now. What is it? Humility. Yes, humility. Absolutely. Humility, right? Before God and then with one another so that we actually do what? We're more concerned about others than we are ourselves. That was the humility that Christ brought. Uh, Philippians 2 speaks about that. So humility is one thing. Yes, what else? Certainly praying for one another. It's another way that we step into each other's lives. And in humility, we go before God and cry out and stand in the gap for others. Yes. Any other things that we've learned over the last few weeks? It's sacrificial. The idea that we are giving of our time, of our resources, of those things that we think are ours, even our own rights. Sacrificial. How about honest? How about honesty? Being honest with one another, being transparent, being able to speak the truth and love with one another. What did Josh preach on last week? Anybody? Grace-filled. We're a grace-filled community, a community that's delivered from pride and fear, not driven by affirmation and opinions, no need to create our own identity, but know who we are in Christ, which delivers us from wanting people to like us, wanting, wanting to be something that I'm really not so that people see me in a particular way, uh, standing over people because of what I want to be, standing in judgment of one another because my identity depends on me being over you. All these things which come from pride and fear, which is the flip coin of one another. And so here we are this week. We've seen these characteristics. We're in, going to be talking about the last two. And they flow directly from grace. And that's joy and mission. We're going to be looking at joy and mission this week. See, one of the fruits of love is joy. Now, there's a difference between cultural happiness and biblical joy. And we really need to understand this. So how many of you are an optimist in here? And how many of you are Eeyores? So the Eeyores hate the optimists. And the optimists don't like the Eeyores. I'm joking, right? But it is true that I'm a very enthusiastic person, so I always see the, the glass half full. My wife might see it half empty. So what happens when we're struggling? I can be an annoyance, can't I? I mean, optimistic energy, come on, man, get away from me. And then I could say to someone else, well, look at you. I mean, and, and, and this is sort of where we go, and we sort of think, well, that optimist is a happy person. They really have joy in their life. The Eeyore is a person who doesn't. That's, that's sort of happiness in a human perspective, it's, it's our culture that sort of puts this idea of happiness out there. You know, the idea, that do whatever makes you happy. A description of happy or happiness is giddy laughter, contentment, satisfaction. 
well-being. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata. Don't worry. It's all going to be okay. Right? And it's associated with earthly things. And this is where the difference really comes. It's associated with earthly things, this happiness, this cultural happiness. It's circumstantial and it's situational. It's based on circumstances and situations in life. And I was thinking about this, and I, you know, uh, you see it so clearly in our culture, but here we are, the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Now, here's a community that's happy, right? Just like the Eagles, when they won, the city was full of happiness, the parade was a great time, and here they are, the Chiefs are having this parade, and you get to the end of this parade, and then tragedy strikes, just like that, just like that. Tragedy strikes, and circumstances change just like that. And now it's gone from like this happiness, sort of this great time, to people are scurrying and running, and people are going down, and people are horrified, and people are despairing. That's cultural happiness. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about biblical joy. Happiness is a reaction to something great happening to us. But joy is the product of someone great. There's a huge difference. Joy is the product of someone great. Joy, biblical joy, is supernaturally sustains our souls. And, and I think this is the word I've been using over the last few weeks, and Ed actually used it in class. This is a supernatural work. We cannot do this. We can try. We can work hard at it. But we are eventually going to fail. This is supernatural. This joy in seasons of heartache, in injustice, when injustice happens during times of grief and sorrow, we have to understand it's rooted in who God is. That's what that song was all about. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's rooted in who God is. So if we look at some scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled. Listen, and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's something that we have gotten as we have come to the Lord in faith. We have an inexpressible and glorious joy. I don't feel that way. No, it's something deeper than just that feeling, right? Romans 15, 13, you hear me, and you'll probably hear me say it again today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This joy comes in who God is and what God is doing. If you look at the scriptures, it comes from his presence, it comes from his strength, it comes from his deliverance, and it comes through trials, James 1, 2. So I have a chart there and you can put that up. I think uh, this woman, 
Nicole Freiling does a wonderful job of, uh, of taking worldly happiness versus biblical joy. So we break it down. Worldly happiness is based on circumstances. Joy is despite circumstances. Worldly happiness is us-focused. Joy is kingdom-focused. Worldly happiness is in reaction to accomplishments, achievement, and material gain. This deep joy, biblical joy, comes from a place of gratitude, praise, and confidence. Happiness, worldly happiness, is a feeling. Remember, feelings are fleeting. But this joy is a state of being. And, and I'll just have a little pet sort of peeve about this. Some uh, Bible interpretations take the Beatitudes where it says blessed and they use the word happy. That is the most ridiculous use of the word happy because it's not about a feeling. Blessed is who you are. It's a state of being. You are blessed because of what God has done for you. Anyway, that's sort of a pet off the side, but just so you guys got that. Worldly happiness, looking to earthly things, joy, viewing from a heavenly perspective. Worldly happiness, hope in it, it being the thing you think will bring you happiness, right? Right now, we have a lot of things that we think will bring us happiness. And guess what? For a short time, they will bring us worldly happiness. But they won't last. Joy, biblical joy, is full of hope. And what, it, what that means is a certain hope, a hope that's unshakable, a hope that can't be taken away from us, a hope that when everything else is gone, we will be with God in the new heavens and the new earth with new bodies. I mean, we can go on and on. We have certain hope that's already been bought for by the blood of Christ. Do I hear an amen to that? Amen. And this is this joy. So, so there's this difference between, and, and, and this is where I think sometimes we get confused. There's a difference between living out of our justification or our sanctification. What do I mean by that? Justification says this is what God has done. This is who you are. It's solid. It can't be taken away. It's in Christ. You are a child. You have a future. You're an heir. You are someone that God loves. You can say, Abba, Father. All these wonderful things, they are stolid. There's nothing to take them away. And that's where this joy transcends all the other circumstances of life because it's rock solid in what God has done for us. It's rooted in God's promises. Sometimes what we do is rather than basing our joy off of our justification, we move into sanctification and we see our sin we see we're struggling. We see the things that are going on. We begin to doubt God loves us. And we begin losing that joy because we're now moving out of how we feel and how our sanctification is going, losing sight of what is already ours in Christ. And we just have to ask God to help us with that and to encourage one another. Remember that the sanctification is progressive. And the promise is, is that he will, what he started, he will complete. So here's the thing about joy. It is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of our lives, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. Joy allows us the perspective to be grateful 
but also to survive trying times by reminding us we are still loved and cared for no matter what direction our daily life goes. Now, am I saying that this is, uh, this is, this is just happened and, you know, uh, this is the way you should look at life in, in hard circumstances? Of course I'm not. It's why we have the scripture. It's why we have one another. It's why we have prayer. It's why we have words like this from Romans 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else, all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a promise. It's telling us that no matter what happens, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, in our justification, in what Christ has done, what is written, which cannot be stolen or taken away. And we rest in that love. And that's where our deep joy comes from. And I know all of us here have had hard circumstances and struggles in our lives. But have you reached the point in that struggle where you had to say, I either believe that God loves me and his plan and purposes are good, or why did God do this? Because here is where joy transcends that. And here is where bitterness grows. So by God's grace, as we go to the word, as we pray, and as we encourage one another, and as we give testimony, we begin to rest in that love and begin to experience the joy of the Lord as our strength. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see how he says that? Rejoice, but he doesn't leave it there. He says, pray continually. Luke 18 says, continue to pray so that you do not lose heart. We pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances trusting God's love and his will. So brothers and sisters, as we live out of humility, honesty, speaking the truth in love, grace, what is that grace? It's, it's the fruit of the spirit in us. It's, it's being able to forgive one another. 
It's lifting each other up. It's speaking wholesome talk to one another. It's all the things that we become as that beautiful community, as the Spirit is working in us. In the same way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as a community move in to our lives, we move into one another's lives in the same way. So joy is a wonderful characteristic that is ours. And think about a community that can look at one another having experienced tragedy and grief and hard circumstances and be able to hug one another, to listen to one another, and to know that as we do this, we rest in a love that's deeper than all these things. What is that like? Would you want to be a part of that community? That when you go talk to somebody, they're going to hear, they're going to listen, they're going to mourn when you mourn, going to rejoice when you rejoice. They're going to ask for forgiveness when forgiveness is needed. What is that like? That's part of that community God is creating here at Bridge and in his church. The last thing we want to talk about at this community is it's a community compelled by love. It's a community compelled by love. What do I mean by that? You can put this up. A community that is moving towards others as God has moved toward us. Remember, we, we were broken. Sin had broken us. We were separated. We, we were headed towards a death that was eternal, but he pursued us through Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Father sent the Son. The Son sent the Spirit, the seal in our hearts, the Spirit who is now empowered to make us to be like Jesus. And through the Spirit, grace sends us out into one another's lives, into the lives of all those that God has put us around. We move out. It's not just something we do. You know, when I was first a Christian, I, I saw some things in different churches. And even, even when I was uh, growing up, I saw this, this idea that, uh, well, we have an evangelism week. Well, let's put the thermometer up. How many souls this week are going to be saved? Oh, get those uh, spiritual laws out. Get somebody out on the street corner. And it doesn't matter if you know that guy or anything. Just tell them they're going to go to hell and show them the four spiritual laws. Now, I may be exaggerating a little bit, but that was sort of the idea behind it. I think there was good intention in that. But the reality is when you do something like that, it's an event. It's something I do. But moving towards others in the way that God has moved towards us is an expression of who we are. It's a part of our personality. It's a part of our DNA. It's what God has done in us. His love is in us. That pursuing love is in us. And as we move out of that love, we pursue one another and we pursue others. That's why I love 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. For Christ's love compels us. 
because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. Brothers and sisters, we are new creations. We are now spiritual beings. We were dead in our sin, and now we are spiritual beings. We are new. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. Now, it didn't say Angelo and Josh are Christ ambassadors. It said we, all of us, are Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sent for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are Christ ambassadors. What do ambassadors do? Well, we all know we have UN ambassadors. What do they do? They represent our country at the United Nations. We have, we have them all across the globe in different embassies, those who represent us. Well, what is an ambassador for Christ? We are those who represent Christ. We are those who bring the message of reconciliation to the world and to one another. That's what missional means, okay? I didn't use the word missional in the beginning because I know everybody's like, oh, missional, missional. No, but that's what missional means. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but you who are around long enough here, we used to have Bridge Community Church. It was a different logo. But under that logo, do anybody remember what it used to say? There you go. Church on a lifelong missions trip. It said trip in the beginning, and then we took it out. <laughs> and then it said church on a lifelong mission. My editor corrected me. <laughs> but the reality is, is that was, that's part of our DNA. That's who we are. We see ourselves on mission because that's who we are. We're not trying to recreate something. That's who we are in Christ. We are as ambassadors, ministers of reconciliation, What's it like, brothers and sisters? It's wonderful that we can go to one another, and by God's grace, if we have a struggle, we can bring reconciliation through forgiveness and honesty and speaking the truth in love. But what it's like when I go into my neighbors and when I'm going into my workplace and I'm ambassador for Christ, and all of a sudden they're speaking about something, I go to them, you know what? Can I pray for you? And they look at you a little strange. But they're not going to say no for the most part. They're going to say, sure. And a week later, you go back to them and you say, hey, how's things going? I've been praying for you. And they're shocked. Like, what? I said, well, things have actually been happening. Really? Simple things where we enter into people's lives with acts of love because we're moving towards them in love. 
where God begins to open up the door to hear more about their heart, their life, because everybody in this world is struggling with something. Everybody has hard circumstances. Everybody has tragedy. But more than that, everybody truly wants the joy that we have and cannot find it in worldly happiness. So let's look at some of our brothers and sisters. Let's go all the way back to the book of Acts, 46 through 47, Acts 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What was going on there? They were being who they were in Christ. They were having beautiful community as they came together. But that beautiful community was also so attractive and moving towards others that it was bringing others in to this community. It was so powerful. I have here um, a quote by Aristides, who was a Greek philosopher around the time of 125 AD who became a Christian. But listen, he wrote this to the emperor Hadrian. Listen to these words. They walk in all humility and kindness, and falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. They despise not the widow and grieve not the orphan. He that has gives literally to him that has not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof and rejoice over him, and if it were their own brother, as if they were their own brother. For they call themselves brothers and sisters, not by blood, by the Spirit, and in God. And it goes on to just talk about what this community is doing. Saving babies and doing all kinds of things. It was this beautiful community that was actually coming into that world and making an amazing impact. Just being who they were in Christ. Being led by the love of God being compelled in that way. I'm always amazed when I think about the city of Antioch at that time because it was known as a city of neighborhoods. Do you know any other city that might be known as a city of neighborhoods? Philadelphia is known, if you ask people, as a city of neighborhoods. Brotherly love. This was a city of neighborhoods. Now listen, here was a city where these neighborhoods represented every different ethnic group. Each neighborhood represented an ethnic group. I grew up in Philadelphia. In the 50s, 60s, and 70s, guess what? That's how I lived. My neighborhood was what? Italian. Italian. Hey, come on now. It was Italian. And our parish was Our Lady the Eternal. Ten blocks down the road was the Irish parish, Corpus Christi. Ten blocks south was the Polish parish, St. Columbus. And then we had those Protestants and Pentecostals, too. And we had African-American neighborhoods, and we had Latino neighborhoods, and everybody was living in their neighborhoods. 
Well, you know how that's gone. But in Antioch, what happened was there was this one neighborhood that just started developing. And it was strange because it had every ethnic group in it. It was mixed. All these ethnic groups were living together. And the people in Antioch, like, they were, like, blown away by this. Like, what is, this shouldn't be happening. We have, we have no way of thinking about these people. And guess where the word Christian came from? That's where the word Christian came from. They had to come up with something to name them, so they called them Christians, followers of Christ, these crazy people who all lived together. What was going on was there was the power of the beautiful community as people were living out the love of Christ. Walls were broken down. Racism was broken down. Judgmentalism was broken down. People came and were accepted and they were seen and respected as those who were in the image of God. And they, as God's ambassadors, were bringing this ministry of reconciliation to one another. I love what J.B. Phillips says. The great difference between present-day Christianity and of that which we read in the pages of Acts is that to use, to us, it is primarily a performance. To them, it was a real experience. To these men and women, it is quite plainly the invasion of their lives to be a new quality of life altogether. They do not hesitate to describe this as Christ living in them. Brothers and sisters, right now, the Holy Spirit, Christ living in us, is here to empower us as believers to be a beautiful community that's moving towards one another and moving towards others. And the Holy Spirit's been doing this through the centuries. He's always been raising up a beautiful community. And we see this church as a beautiful community, reaching out to one another and reaching out to others. We see it in Africa. We see it in India. And brothers and sisters, we want to, by God's grace, see it here. And I believe it's happening here. I see it happening here. It's been a part of who we are, and we're growing more in it. I love the fact now, when you go out there doing our luncheons, so many different people are talking to one another, and it's great. Different people are getting to know one another. And we have supper sessions. Hey, sign up this week. Giuliani's still have some room in their house. Hey, we're used to having 50 people there for parties, so more the merrier. Sign up. But sign up. Get to know some people. Be intentional in moving towards others. Let God be at work in us. But more than that, as we begin living this way, it becomes much more a way that we live, not just with one another, but with others, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in your family, whether it be in your schools. This is who we are. We reach out because that love is moving in and through us. I'm excited because I believe God's doing an even new and deeper work in the midst of our bridge community. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do as we begin moving towards one another and begin moving out. There is a key to this, though, right? 
It's this idea of living out of the gospel day by day. And I'm just going to do this briefly, uh, but I, some practical application to this, because this does, again, this is supernatural. It does not happen by me just thinking about it. You know, Josh had the Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer quote last week about you can dream about community, <laughs> but that's not going to work. As a matter of fact, it might destroy community. It's actually entering and experiencing community. And brothers and sisters, it starts with us living each day out of the gospel. If you could put that chart up, and you guys have seen this a couple of weeks ago, but if you could put that up. This is just a good way to get an idea of what it is to be living out of the gospel day by day. It starts with me. See, here's, here's what happens sometimes. I have a relationships with people. I'm, it's horizontal, and there's a vertical with God, all right? A lot of times what we do is rather than dealing with ourselves each day before God, recognizing who we are, knowing that we are poor in spirit, that, that Lord, my heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, that, that Lord, as I come to you, I, I come recognizing that and recognizing my need, not just once, but day by day, I need to come to you, I need to humble myself, I need to pray to you, I need to confess my sins to you, I need to turn in repentance and turn away from my own worldly self-effort and those things that, that move and drive me. See, this is where it starts, and this is where the power to do vertical comes from because then it unleashes the Holy Spirit. See, because sin hinders the Holy Spirit. Rebellion hinders the Holy Spirit. It's as we bring that, the Holy Spirit is now unleashed in us and is empowered to fill us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. It's as I move in that direction that I begin to move into life that way, into relationships with other people, able to forgive even when someone is, is irritating or someone's come against me, I'm still able to, it says, love covers a multitude of sins. How does that happen apart from the Holy Spirit at work in my life? And sometimes what we do, things are struggling horizontal, and what we do is we just take our horizontal craziness and we bring it to God without first dealing with God and myself first. So my prayer coming from that horizontal is coming out of all my junk. And it's not coming from a heart that's humbled itself before God, now has the Spirit working in it. And as a result, it's now coming out of a love that's compelled by God's love itself. Completely changes how I pray and how I pray for you and how we pray for one another and how we pray for others. So I, and I, if I were to show you mine, I have it all marked up. I have scriptures. Uh, you know, I, I, I add in different things as I'm doing it. You know, and, and, and literally fill it out because I do this every morning. I know, Ange. Ange is saying the morning again. He's a morning person. It doesn't matter. He gets up at 5 o'clock, whether he went to bed at 2 or 11, doesn't matter. Well, that might be true. I might be a little bit like the Energizer Bunny. But the reality is when you look at Jesus' life, Jesus also prayed early in the morning. Why did he pray early in the morning? He prayed early in the morning because it was setting his day before the Lord. The day needed to go. All that he needed needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And one of the ways that happens is for us to take this gospel and rehearse it before God every morning as we go to him so that we step out empowered by the Holy Spirit, by the fruit of the Spirit, being led by his wisdom. So I'd encourage you to think about that. I have some of these. If you guys are interested in them, I'm more than glad to give them to you, or I can send it to you by email, or there's other ways you can do this. But this is how we begin entering in, and we live our day-to-day. And as we do that, brothers and sisters, we move towards God, and then we move towards one another, and we move towards others, and God is creating in us a beautiful community by his grace, whether it be in our home, in our small groups, whether it be in our church as a whole, whether it be in your workplace, whether it be in your schools, your, your teams, anywhere, because it's who we are in Christ. So as people who are learning about humility, honesty, what grace is and being delivered from our pride and fear, people who have a joy that's deeper than the circumstances and sorrows in life, are people then compelled by love towards others. Let's grow in this together. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's, let's let God do this in our lives. And I just want to pray for us uh, and pray for the Holy Spirit to do what none of us can do in our lives. But let's just pray about this together.